Welcome to the Just Write Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word, from books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody. Welcome to another episode of the Just Right Show. This is Travis Cody, and today we are taking a tour behind the scenes of a little land called Hollywood. Joining me is Jeff Lyons. He's a working writer, story editor, script, and book doctor, and he has worked in the film, television, and publishing industries for more than two decades, helping thousands of screenwriters and novelists tell better stories. He's also an instructor through Stanford University's online writer studio and is a regular guest lecturer through the UCLA Extension Writers Program. Jeff's writings on the craft of storytelling can be found in leading industry trade magazines such as Writer's Digest, Script Magazine, and The Writer. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You are more than welcome. So I worked in Hollywood for about 15 years as a screenwriter and in development. And even though I've been out of it for a while, you enjoying semi-retirement. Anytime I go back home to my small little town in Utah, people still ask me questions about Hollywood. People are obsessed with Hollywood. They, the whole idea of Hollywood, it's like this, this magical part of America that everybody always wants to know know about. I, I actually wrote a book where I said that movie stars are essentially American. It's America's royalty. We don't have a king or a queen or aristocracy. That's what our movie stars are. So I'm excited to have you here because you're neck deep in Tinseltown and you get to see a lot of the fun stuff behind the scenes. So yeah, let, let's start off with there's the idea that breaking into Hollywood and becoming a paid screenwriter, let alone a script doctor, it's a, that's an up, uphill battle. So what's your journey? How, how did you get started, started in writing? How did you gravitate into professional screenwriting? And uh, what are some of the experiences you've had along the way? It's a very, very interesting question because the answer to it, depending upon when you ask it, is different. <laughs> Um, the, 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 the royal road into this industry has really changed in the last 10 years. And I've been doing this since 1986. So um, I began, <clears throat> excuse me, I began um, as a reader um, and just kind of had the, the brass to contact people in the industry at studios and stuff saying I wanted to read scripts. <laughs> and I ended up getting uh, hired um, by CBS Movie of the Week division um, as a reader. And, um, you know, I just said, hey, I want to apply to be a reader. They said, here's a book, write coverage. Um, so I did some research on, you know, how basic coverage is done. And it's a very standard formulaic kind of thing. Um, what they look for, though, of course, is, you know, are you pulling out the right notes? Are you making the right kind of comments? That kind of stuff. And apparently I had the, the story genes to intuitively know what was story and what wasn't story and what was important and what wasn't important. And they hired me. And um, I just sort of took it from there. And in those days, this is, we're talking, you know, late 80s, early 90s, the indie film market and even the studio uh, wrote in was was easier in some ways there, there, there was always a lot of competition but not like today um and you could just you know just 
walk into someone's office and apply for a job. You know, that's what that's what I did many, many times. Yeah. Um, well, there was also only one or two avenues to contact someone. And generally it was, you had to be in person nowadays with online. There's exactly 37 yeah. ways you can contact I mean, someone. I went to the studios and I walked the lots and I went from door to door. That's what I did. And, um, That's suspiciously like how Spielberg got started. Yeah, suspiciously like Spielberg. Yes. And, um, almost everybody said, you know, get the hell out. But, um, a few people said, hey, okay, you know, the skin off our nose, we'll take a chance. So, CBS hired me and I worked there for several years and actually was on the, on the, the uptake to become a, the assistant story editor. Um, and then politics got in the way and, and, they, and that didn't happen. So then I kind of moved on and went into the independent field, just doing story notes for independent producers um, and realized this is just the beginning of the story guru world. You know, Truby and, you know, Chris Vogler and, you know, all those guys so were, were starting to get their systems together and teaching classes. The processes. All the processes. Yeah. And Save all the cat. It, it, well, no, no, that was, he was much later, you know, but then, you know, but Chris Vogler was around the same time Truby was doing it. Um, um, there are a couple of, couple of other people, but they, those are the two main guys at the time. You know, Robert McKee, he was out doing the same, they were all about the same time. And I realized that I needed more formal, you know, story structure education. And so I just, you know, started studying, you know, started, you know, learning and realized that I really totally understood a lot of this stuff. Um, and then just kind of took it from there and just kind of hang out my own shingle and then started getting hired by, you know, working writers. I worked for two years. I was development person for, you know, um, Gail Parent, who was a very, very well-known comedy writer in Hollywood. She wrote for the Cara Burnett show, Golden Girls, all that kind of stuff. So I learned a lot working with her. She's also a best-selling novelist. So you um, cut your teeth with some old school people. I cut my teeth with old school people, you know. So before we move on and, and talk about what we want, let's, let's lay uh, some definitions out because some of these terms uh, obviously I'm familiar with, but a lot of people who are not in Hollywood, what's the difference between a reader and a story editor versus development? Reader, reader is somebody who... Um, works for a story department or works uh, for a producer and they read the scripts that are submitted by the agencies um, for consideration and their job is to filter the stuff to know what the producer wants to know what the production company wants to know what their agenda is that their slates like and then find the scripts that match what their production slates are, are, are shaping up to be and they do uh, a synopsis and a half a page of actual story notes and then base, give basic recommendations um, on the writer and then on the script itself. And it's pass, fail, whatever. It's a very structured, very established template. So skills. let's at the height of when you were doing your reading, how many screenplays per week do you think you were going through? I, I was going through six to 10 a week, which was a lot. Yep. A lot. Yeah. So I just want to, I wanted to bring this up because most people don't understand how, and again, 20 years ago, it, it was quite a bit. And even now with digital means, it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming, uh, it's overwhelming how much material is, is out there. Overwhelming. And, 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 and there is a reader's union. I mean, they're part of, I think, I, I, the IA or something, I yep, think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they make, you know, pretty good, pretty good salary. Um, but the, the studios have them, you know, the, the studios have, the, have a story department and the readers all work in those story departments. Now, the difference between them and 
uh, a development person is a development person is more not just giving notes, they're actually working with the writers um, to fix story problems and give them notes to go back and do rewrites. Um, and they're actually involved in the shaping of the final script, which is the readers are never involved with. So the process would be scripts get through and the, 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 the reader is the first, the first gatekeeper. One of the first gatekeepers, right. They, they, they weed out uh, the majority of the crap and get to stuff that's workable. And then that would pass on to the next person up, which is generally the story editor and or the development person that will take it. And if it fits the slate to start working it into what they feel like they could make, they could yeah. sell basically, right? And get funded. Right. right, exactly. So once it passes the development guy, what's the, what's the next step? Well, then it goes to the creative executive and the creative executive um, decides whether they're going to invite the writer in and or the agent um, because stuff doesn't just come over the transom, you know, anonymously. They cannot legally do that. It's everything, everything comes through the agencies. Yep. Um, even for independent production companies, they, they just cannot look at unsolicited manuscripts. And then if you get past all those gatekeepers, then the, 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 the person in charge of development or creative executive of the studio will then talk to the agency involved and start the process of negotiating what's next, how to start packaging. They'll make a deal, the writer will come on and they'll do a, the deal memo. And um, uh, the, then they will start actually packaging, packaging the product, which is, means finding a director, attaching talent, all that sort of stuff. Then they take that package to the studio to sell it. So out of every, let's say 10 scripts that you as a reader went, wow, these are fantastic and passed on. And I'm, I'm assuming that you found maybe one out of a hundred that, that was workable. Maybe. How, how many of those actually went on to get made? Minus 20. <laughs> yeah. I um, So when I was in development, I remember, I should remember the name. I, f I forget the name now, but there, there was a two writers uh, and we had optioned a screenplay from them. And the over 20 years, the two of them had sold 22 screenplays, 18 of which they, they had had sold for over a million bucks. Wow. Which is, you know, no, no, no small thing. And so we were talking about like, oh, we're never going to be able to pay you a, a million bucks for your scripts. We'll, you know, we'll see what they do. And I, the thing that stuck with me is the writer said, Travis, I will give you the script for a dollar if you'll promise me that it'll get made. He's like, I've sold 22 screenplays. And only two of them have actually made it to the screen. Exactly. He's like, I don't care about the money. Just put my movie on the screen. Once, once they buy the script, it's theirs and they can make it or not make it. It's up to them. And on so many projects get sold and the writer will get, you know, guild minimum up front or something. And there's usually stages to these writer agreements where that, you know, you, you, you get some money up front and then it goes to principal photography, then you get another chunk and then blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's stages to, you don't ever get the money up front, you know, so all of it anyway. Yeah. So lots of stuff gets sold and developed and then rehashed and five new writers get on and they have to do rewrites on what you originally wrote. And it may still never see the light of day. I, when I worked at Universal Studios, I remember going into their, this is the very beginning of my career. I went in, I had a friend working in the development department and we went into this room and I don't know if you've if you're familiar with the the bookshelves that are on uh, sliders, so they the bookshelves can close up, 
Right. And so they had this one section of a wall and there was like nine bookshelves that kind of did that slip where they could close them all up. And it was eight feet tall by about 15 feet deep. And it was floor to ceiling. And it, it, all it was was screenplays. And I thought that was the development material. And my friend said, no, these are the screenplays that Universal has bought outright <laughs> that haven't been made. They haven't been made. Yes. Yeah. I, was, I was so like my mind was blown. It's mind blowing. When and you see some of the stuff that makes it to the screen and then realize like the, just Universal alone has an entire library of screenplays that were good enough to buy. Yes. And the stuff in there that's probably gold that they don't even know about. Yeah. Forgotten about. It's great. Anyway, we could tell stories about it. that. Was one of my biggest things with Hollywood. Yeah. Where I was like, why? Why? So, so that's, the, that's the movie side. The TV side is now the big. I mean, yeah. everybody wants to be in TV because it's the new golden age, right? So um, streaming, streaming has changed everything. And now um, there are other ways in for people that are not the traditional, you know, going to the studio and knocking on doors. The, there are viable ways now through contests, through um, um, diversity programs and writer programs that all the major studios have. And all the guilds have their own um, uh, writer, writer and development kind of programs going on. Um, and, and people actually are getting picked up and getting staffed on TV write, writing, on TV series based on participating in these, in these competitions and in these, in these, uh, fellow, in these fellowship programs. I, I've, I've, taught, I've taught for seven years for the PGA for their diversity uh, producers program, which has a. Um, uh, That's Steven Spielberg. He's calling you. He wants to buy uh, your next script. That, which, which has uh, you know, a very good reputation for being one of the oldest fellowship programs in Hollywood, you know. And I taught the, the story development piece for them for a long time. So that was going to be a, a, a question I was going to ask you later on, but we're here. So let's let's get into it now. If, so if someone has aspirations to be a, a screenwriter or write for TV, uh, what's the best path for them to pursue it, to, to obviously hone their craft. And I would love your recommendations on where you think people should go to do that. But once they feel like they're good enough, is there a way they can go to find these, these contests and the diversity program? So they, oh, they yeah, there's, want there's, to go to submit tons of places online. You can, uh, the, the blacklist is a, is a, is a very famous uh, area for submitting independent screenplays. And projects get picked up and brought off of there a lot. Wow! Um, Sundance has has a whole process for applying and getting TV and film and indie film projects done. Um, all the big film festivals sponsor some sort of you know contest or you know like South by Southwest. All of them have have screenplay competitions at this point. So go online and just look. You know, type in screenplay competitions. <laughs> There's a lot of snake oil too, you know, so you got to be careful that you're not just, you know, paying out 40, 50, 60 bucks for some, some guy in, you know, Paris, Texas, who's, you know, decided he's going to start a film competition. <laughs> um, you want to go with one of the recognizable brands. Okay. Now there's a lot of competition, of course, it's more than ever, but, but so what, you know, it's a competitive world, you know, just don't stop. And that's the key. And don't take it personally. Nobody knows you from a steak sandwich. So if they say no, it isn't personal. You're just not hitting the notes they want to have hit. Okay, next. That's really the attitude you've got to have in this industry. 
Seth Rogen, and you'll appreciate this because I know you're a martial arts guy. Seth Rogen shared this story when he was a kid, when he was eight years old or nine years old, how his dad put him in like karate class or something like that. Joe Rogan or Seth Rogen? Uh, Seth. Seth Rogen. I know, right? Um, <laughs> so you're like, wait a minute. Hey, we're talking about the long, wrong, wrong, wrong Logan, Rogan here. Uh, but, but no, he said that um, he was kind of bored. And so he just kept going to class a, a couple times a week. And he said by the time he turned nine or 10, he suddenly was the most experienced guy in class, not because he had any, any inherent talent, but just because he was the only guy who didn't quit. Yes. And he said when he got into Hollywood and things started going rough, he's like, oh, this is just like yes. martial arts. If I just keep yes. showing up, eventually I'm going to be the, the, the most experienced guy. And, and look at the careers I had. I was like, that is fantastic advice from the martial it, arts world. It absolutely is. And it's real advice because it's true. I'm an example of that. I quit this industry at least four or five times, but <laughs> I always come back you know, um, because it's in my blood and I just can't stop doing it. And I just love, I love film. I love television. And screenwriting is my best form. I, it's the one I'm naturally, I, I write to naturally. Um, but if you just keep showing up, you are going to find your luck. Absolutely you will. And you got to keep writing. You can't have just one or two sample scripts. You've got you to turn out a, a couple of three scripts every year. Just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. Keep your name out there. Get on, get on people's mailing lists. And if you're not in Los Angeles or one of the major film centers, you know you 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 just have to you know try to find a way to participate in the community in some way. There are all sorts of things now, groups that are uh, online that you can join in, and net networking groups like Stage Thirty Two. It's a great place to to meet and and talk with real filmmakers, um, you know, not just wannabe people, but th those are there too, but there's some, you know, real professional working people who are on stage32.com. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities now. And the other thing that is true now that was not true before, <laughs> and especially if you're a younger person and you're doing this, is make a movie. Yeah. Make a short, cut your teeth on an actual production and you can do it for nothing these yep. days. I was just, I had a friend of mine who's a, a screenwriter and uh, he, he went and shot a movie for 50 grand. Yep. And, and he ended up getting distribution on it. And now, yep. and then because of that, he was invited to the, like there's some sort of TV film thing in London and they paid his way to go over there and he got yep. a pitch and yep. Yeah, and it was just because this is what exactly what you said. You just he just put together his own money and, and yeah. did it. Put your yeah, figure it out. Get a team together. Get your get your trot. Find your trod, and 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 go for it. And it's it's one of the fastest ways to get noticed. That's fantastic advice. So for you, how long were you in story editing and development before you picked up your first sort of quote script doctor? job and can you explain what a script doctor is for for oh, the uninitiated i was, was doing i was just doing it for a couple of years and then and then i got i started getting hired as an independent consultant for indie producers and um i they would come to me and they would say i've got a script i want some notes and i would give them basic story structure 
analysis of what's going, what's working, what's not working, and then brainstorm ideas. And this is kind of, I think, what makes me and, and really good consultants different than you know, you know the guys and gals out there who know the process but don't really have the story gene. You know, it's you, you've got to actually come up with ideas that are organic to the material you've read that actually solve the story problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and be, be, you've got to give the writer direction and idea, not just tell them what's wrong, but here's how here's the direction that the story really wants to go in. Why aren't you doing this? And then give some ideas, you know. And then, then there's a give and take, uh, this synergy that happens between the two creative people, you know, and, and it's a lot of fun. It's great fun. It's one of the reasons I love doing this. Um, but that's what the uh, a story development consultant does is they, they, they get, they're, they're another pair of creative eyes that maybe have a little better handle on story structure principles um, and maybe even screenplay pacing and narrative design. They're a little better at it maybe in some level. Um, so they have a better sense of, you know, how the script actually needs to be organized. It's really true if you're writing a, like a TV pilot, you know, are, are all your act outs really working? Do they do what they're supposed to do? Do you have the right number of acts, blah, blah, blah. So uh, people hired me to do that. And then I started getting a reputation for um, for saving, saving projects, you know. Um, so is, and, is there a project you saved that we might be familiar with or at least helped work on? Saved. Um, <sighs> trying to think. None of them got into production. <laughs> I know. All right. I was hoping you had a good Tarantino story where Tarantino got no, stuck no, and I, you had to go in and help Tarantino I, rescue. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the writer's guild. Yeah. You know, I'm not like in that upper echelon of, you know, that the that part of the studio world. I'm in the indie world, you know, and that's where yep. I've made my reputation. And actually, frankly, it's really fine with me. I was going to say, I think you have more flexibility in the indie world. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I, you know, it's af- after all these years, it's like, I'm fine just remaining an independent story consultants. And this is one of the reasons I went into the book world. Story consultants are, are essentially developmental editors. That's really all they are. You know, and, and to demystify what story consultants do, they're in the, in the book world, they're, you have line editors who deal with the mechanics of the sentence and word choice and grammar and punctuation and all that kind of stuff. And then you have developmental editors who aren't concerned with line editing concerns. They're concerned with story structure, pacing. Do you have the, is the book working well as a book, as a narrative with long form fiction? That's their skill set. That's what st- script story doctors are all about. They're, they're developmental editors, you know. And, and it, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the story guru guys and gals hate when I say that because it demystifies what they do. <laughs> and it makes How dare not, you pull back the curtain? It may, yeah, it makes them not feel so, so damn special, you know. Um, but there, is, there are levels to it. And there are, there are people in Hollywood. Gail Parent was one of them. She's wonderful, by the way. She's just terrific. Um, but she was, she got all kinds of Emmys from all these shows she's written. But she would literally be hired only to come in and do rewrites on comedy store, on comedy scripts. Wow. And she get paid a ton of money just to just to come in and do rewrites. She wouldn't even get story credit. Hmm. 
that happens all the time. People people come in and, and do rewrites on stuff. They just get paid. They do not share credit. You know, um, I've had a bunch of those kinds of things. So right. it, it's it's. I mean, we can neither confirm nor deny that that may have happened with Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so that happens all the time. You know, so if you're ego based and you're really worried about all that kind of crap, um, then you're going to have a very short career. You know, what do you want to do? Do you want to work? Or do you want to just, you know, do this, do this step and repeats and go to all the festivals? You know, so it, it's. So you've I, been doing this a while and, and you obviously you've had a very successful career at writing scripts and, and developing and being a script doctor. At what point did you start to, to formulate your theories and your processes and at what point in that journey did you finally go all right it's time for me to put all of this into a book 2006 is when i really decided to go indie so to speak i've been i've been playing around with ideas since the late 90s Mm. did you take inspiration from watching people like Chris Vogler take his processes and turn them into books and programs? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, in fact, I learned a lot from Truby and Vogler and Robert McKee and all these, what one of the main lessons I've learned is that they're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they've all found the individual ways in, but the, but story structure is not something anyone created. It's, it's an archetypal thing. It exists outside of us story has structure because it's a story no plato invented it uh, well not really. <laughs> i'm just kidding we reckon he recognized, yeah i know he he's he the first person to write about it but he's the first person to really i mean three thirty five hundred years ago oh my god you know talk about brilliant um beginning middle and end right he didn't talk about acts he talked about the beginning middle and end nowhere in there do you hear any word called act okay <laughs> i'm a real i'm a, that's one of my hot buttons is acts i hate acts yeah, um, but i started seeing i started seeing the commonalities and the touchstones and how everybody was basically talking and and i i resisted for years doing anything of my own because i didn't want to be another story guru. i didn't i didn't want to be in that ilk i didn't want to be a part of that world you know it just felt like snake oil I mean, they're, they're very good people. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to slam anybody, but the consulting world just didn't have a good feel to it. It felt like I would have needed a shower every time I got involved, you know. Right. So until I could find my own way into it and actually say something that was original, I wasn't going to do anything. And then one day, literally in the early early 2000s, I read I read somebody's definition of a premise. And I said, no, that's not right. It's not wrong, but it's not enough. And I started, and I didn't know why I said that, but I started thinking about it. And I just started playing and started writing and started typing and came out with this idea of this, of the, of the, what I call the invisible structure, which is the classic story structure of any story. Truby talks about the same thing, just a little different terminology. And then, and then that led to a whole other problem, which was this thing called the moral problem. Everybody talks about the moral problem. You got to have a flawed character. You have somebody, you have somebody who's broken. Blah blah blah. Yes, yes, yes. But what I noticed, and it was very unsatisfying to me, was that 
what people did with these characters was they only stayed on the surface. They only were a drunk or they only were a failure or they were only an abused person or they were only, all you saw was the, what I call the immoral effect of how they're acting in the world that's negative toward other people. And then they left it there. See, I think we could make the argument that the last three Star Wars movies didn't even go that deep. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, well, that, now we're getting into the whole question of whether it's story yeah, no. or situation. Uh, yeah, there's, a whole, there's a whole distinction I make between these two. Not bad and wrong, just different. You know. Okay? Right. So then, I, then it was an evolutionary thing for me to go from that to this, well, okay, got to have a moral problem, but nobody talks about how you find one. How do you really get one? And then I started really trying to break it down. And they came up with the blind spot and the moral effect and dynamic moral tension. And I had this thing called the moral component. And then I started testing it with clients on their protagonists. And damn it, if it didn't work, if it didn't take that drunk and then go one level down to why are they a drunk and why aren't they selling flowers or doing something else? What's going on under the hood? that's the lesson they're going to learn and heal. That's how they're going to fix themselves. That's their final revelation at the end of the story. Not just that I have to stop drinking and being a jerk. No, that's the surface problem. What's the real emotional component going on? And then it just kind of, then it snowballed over time. Since 1990, I've been doing this thing called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is a very big, very popular um, um, system of personality analysis. It's not really a typing system like, like MBTI, Myers-Briggs. or something you, like. and th- you go deep into this in your book, Rapid Story Rapid, Development. Right? Rapid, that's that's my second book that came out last October, Rapid Story Development, the Enneagram Story Connection. And the Enneagram is the best model out there to describe human behavior. Writers have been using it since the 1970s to write characters. What I discovered after working with the Enneagram since 1990, and then doing story structures since 1986, the two of those things collided in my head at some point, and I realized, oh my God, the Enneagram doesn't just help you write great characters, it actually points your nose to key story structure moments. It helps you develop your story. I have a, I have a whole class starting tomorrow, in fact, on writers.com on how to, how to avoid the mushy middle of a story. It's all based on Enneagram principles. You know, it's how you how you avoid the, the episodic center and actually create a story that's structurally sound and characterologically sound throughout the middle of the story, so it's not episodic. Um, and then it's just it's all evolved since then. And now, <laughs> after all these years of testing this out on people and, and having it work with thousands of friends. I've started developing this uh, process that I call the writer's workflow, which I'm going to be starting to teach, you know, probably early next year, which is a 10-step process for how you put your butt in a chair and get something done. Get to the point where you're ready to write pages with confidence that you're not going to get lost in the story woods because everybody, you know, I'm teaching the same basic steps to everybody and and it's working with people, you know, from the idea to pages, that's the idea. What do you do? There's 10 things you can do to that help you develop the story using all these things I've been talking about that progressively move you forward so that when you start pages of a script or a, or, or a novel or a great piece of non creative nonfiction, you can write with confidence that you're not gonna get lost in the story woods and end up with 400 pages of you know word salad. 
like yep. NaNoWriMo, you know? I think every single screenwriter I know, with the exception of one, when, because uh, I'm a very big, out, I outline everything. I won't start writing a script until I have the whole thing outlined. And a lot of my screenwriter friends used to, they, to this day, they still make fun of me for that. But I always ask them, like, well, how many half finished screenplays do you have? Yes. <laughs> it's like dozens, dozens and, and, and dozens. This is, this is the tyranny of the creative writing world. The, 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 this, this, we, ha we, ha we have creative writing teachers to blame for this belief. It's a pantser versus plotter. Yeah. No, and that's the exact argument. Oh, I can't. If I if I outline it, it's going to stifle my creativity. That's what they say every single time. I can't exactly. be creative. Just the opposite is true. No, I was I found that exact thing. I found that when I have worked through the bigger story issues, it frees up my brain. And yes. as I'm going scene by scene, I end up writing stuff that I'll sit back and go, "Where did yes. that come from? Like yes, that wasn't me. Exactly. I have no idea where exactly. that was." It's finding the balance between making the right story choices to allow those creative juices to really flow in the right direction. Writing is inherently a reductive process. And people think that it's the opposite. It's not. You, whenever you decide you're going to write something in creative writing fashion, it's about reducing your options, not keeping all possibilities open. If that was the case, you would never get anything written. It's about making the right story choices. And for that, you need a process, you need a methodology. It's, it's not an antithetical to create a process, it's part of it. That's Huge cool. soapbox for me. Huge no, soapbox. yeah, I get it. So you, you say something in your first book, Anatomy of a Premise Line, that I find fascinating. And I'd love to have a discussion about this because I think it'll be super useful for people listening to the show, which is right out of the gate, you come out and say, that story comes first, writing comes second, because storytelling and writing are not the same thing. <laughs> Can you explain that a little bit? Because most people feel, well, I'm, I, I, if I'm writing, I'm telling a story. And we, right. we, we clearly know that that's not the case, but I'd love to know why you wrote that and your thoughts behind that. Yeah, explain people, the really, difference between people the really kind of get like years in the headlights when they say that to them. Yeah. And, and it's like, but when I explain why, they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. A story can be painted, it can be danced, it can be mimed, you know, like Marcel Marceau. You don't have to be anywhere near a piece of paper and a pencil or a word processor to tell a story. And we've been telling stories for 40,000 plus years as human beings before there was any written language. I think the first actual human stories were movement stories, were dance. And then it evolved into the grunts and everything else and then language and all that. But storytelling has nothing to do with the writing process. Writing process is simply one way of many to tell a story. It's a cool way, it's a great way, it's a real popular way. That hasn't always been the case, okay? And stories, well, we'll get, we're not gonna talk about what a story is, but that that's what storytelling is writing is about language about rhythm and the musicality of words and rhetoric and word usage to convey thought feeling and ideas not necessarily to tell a story that's what poetry is all about you can tell stories in poetry as well for sure especially epic poetry right but you can also just use a poem or a 30 seconds commercial spot 
to get across an emotion. And the words you choose, the rhythms you choose, the, the structure that you do is all about accomplishing that using the power of language and words and rhetoric. A different thing than storytelling. And when you put those together, those are really powerful tools, but they're not the same thing. So what the creative writing world has done has elevated the writing process to be supremo, implying that you cannot find your story unless you start just writing. Just do it. That's the, that's the advice everyone gets. Writers write. Don't edit. Don't censor. Just sit down. Start writing. The story will tell itself. The characters will tell themselves. No and no. And the reason you know that's true, as I say this in the book, it's a silly example, but it's a true one. Next time you want to write, stick your butt in a chair and don't do anything and see how much of the story gets told. You have to do it. You're in charge. <laughs> Not the characters. So they're fictional. <laughs> so this is where everyone gets, gets caught up and tied up in knots because they think what they have to do first is write their stories and they'll discover it in the writing. And some people can do that. It's not that that's necessarily wrong, but most people don't have both the, the writing talent and the story talent to pull that off. Stephen King does. Martin Amos does. A lot of writers, no, not a lot of writers, but there are certainly a bunch of writers who have both of those skill sets and talents. Skills and talents are two different things, but they have them. And so, you know, they would, hit, they would hear this conversation. They go, eh, just stop listening to this podcast. Go write. <laughs> and, then you, and then you'd have Dan Brown being like, no, no, I, like, you got four years of research before you exactly. can start writing. Exactly, you got a whole other opposite, you know, analysis paralysis where you just, you know, you're, you know <laughs> so, but, but the idea is an important one to make a distinction between these two. And what I have found for the vast majority of writers, not everybody, but the vast majority of writers who don't have the story skill set, and most of them don't, if they develop first, they avoid, like I said, getting lost in the story woods when they start writing. They've got the riverbanks of the river to guide the flow. And they can go off on tributaries, but they can come back again and not get too lost, okay? That's what, that's what story structure helps you do. And so learn that skill before you do anything. Learn that skill if you can. And then you can. And there's, there's tons of resources out there on this. You know, you have to. So when you are uh, taking a class or te teaching a class on story and writing through UCLA and some of the other programs you teach with, where do you start these young impressionable minds that come to you? What's the, what's the first sort of first thing, thing I do. Is it exactly first, this? First thing I do is we sit. And I, I do this with every single client. I say, I go, okay, we're in an elevator. You've got 10 floors. Pitch me your story. Okay, we're at, we're, we're, we're at level eight. <laughs> and then they panic. And about floor six, they start telling me the story. And then you see them get flustered and they just, they, they, they don't, they, they're just gobbledygook. You know, or it's all platitudes and it's all, I teach a class on log lines and how to write log lines. And it's, what they do with log lines is exactly what they do in a major pitch is they, they start explaining the story, but we can't tell it. They, they can't tell me what's actually happening. 
in the story. It's all explanation, exposition, and here's what happened when they were five, and you have to understand that. If you're gonna understand the protagonist, no, no, no. They have to learn what's important. It's, I teach how writers can figure out what is story and what isn't story. What is the events and the plotting and the character behaviors that drive things and what is exposition and explanation and backstory. To learn how to make those distinctions about what's important and what isn't. Because when you're pitching a, a, an editor or an agent or a publisher on a proposal for a book, you have got to be able to succinctly tell your story. And they're not gonna sit still for the. Uh, let me tell you a quick story. Last, last summer, I was invited to the Dallas-Fort Worth Writers' Conference, which is one of the largest writers' conferences. And I taught my anatomy of premise line class. <clears throat> and the very last day, they had everybody show up into the ballroom and for this thing they always do called the gong show. And they have six or seven editors from publishing companies with gongs in front of them. And everybody in the audience gets to write out a pitch, basically a long line that they would use in a pitch, in a, in a, in a query letter of, to get to get interest. And then they would anonymously pass them up. If you get three gongs, you're in the round five. You're done. Almost every single pitch got gonged almost immediately. <laughs> almost immediately. And it was because everybody was talking around their stories and they never cut to the damn chase. This is a skill you can learn. And once, and I had a very famous editor tell me once, she, she said, if, if a writer cannot do a decent logline in a query letter and they're all over the map, the chances of them being able to actually write a synopsis or to give me a real pitch or write a book and be clear is not very encouraging. So these editors make a lot of, draw a lot of conclusions from your ability as a professional to sell your story and pitch it in a clear, concise fashion so that they know you know what you're doing. <laughs> it's, and I, I teach people how to do that. You know, I've got a whole process for log lines, which works really well, which I've taken from the TV world, because you know, those are the, the those are the master writers, the TV writers. I, they, I did. I, they just walk on water as far as I'm concerned. The showrunners are amazing. They're just amazing writers. That's just what I was watching the um, <coughs> master class with Aaron Sorkin. I don't know if you've seen it, and uh, oh, I love him. I just love him. I I, I do, but man, like it, during the thing, they're like he talks about how like oh yeah, you know, as a screenwriter, yeah, I have these. Yeah, I got to write the screenplay in ninety days. I never do that. Nine months, nine months to a year to write my screenplay. That's the creative process, and you don't let people bully around. I'm going, dude. If you are on, working on Bones. <laughs> and it takes you a year to get what like you lose your job buddy like no this is horrible advice what are you doing you you got you got 10 days pal you got 10 days yeah got, to write got, 40 pages they go they go into they go into production on day seven i remember when i so i used to do stand-up comedy and i remember <laughs> taking a class from 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 someone i won't say who it was but they were talking about like if you just write you know one good joke 
uh, I think it was for her. It was uh, this person. It was like one good joke a week, basically, because you really got to put thought into it. And if you can get to the point where you're writing one good joke a day, at the end of the year, you'll have 300 jokes. And, and one of my friends was writing for The Tonight Show. And he said, if I only wrote one joke a day, I'd be fired. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, we got we to gotta do 30, 40, 50 jokes a day on the low end. Oh my and he's God. like, and that's just in the warming up process. He's like, who oh is this God. woman? And this is the thing. This, this, this person is, 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 you know, touting themselves as a, as a, as a comedy guru, as a comedy coach. And my friend's like, no, you oh, never have a job. This, 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 this kind of stuff drives me absolutely bananas. You know, it's like, Aaron Sorkin is not wrong, but he's got the luxury to be able to do that. Yeah, when you have a, when you, you have know, a few Academy Awards under your belt, yeah, you, you know, but you have some leeway with what you're, you're able to get away with. TV writer, you know, you're going, you're jumping through the hoops. You know, you got the showrunner who's got to staff up the room, and you know, you you walk in day one, you got to be contributing to breaking story. You can't sit there quietly watching to see what's going on. You've got to contribute on day one, and then you're assigned a script pretty soon after that. And then you've got, you know, a week maybe you can get a first draft done, and then everyone's going to have their have their hands in that 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 thing. I mean, and you do that over and over and over for season after season, hopefully season after season after season. And it's a machine. It's an unbelievable machine and incredibly demanding. You know, the, the reality of the working writer in Hollywood and, and, the, and, the, and the images people have of what a screenwriter is are so disconnected. It's, it's frightening. Yep. It's frightening. I, uh, <clears throat> my parents were asking me one time when I was at the height of doing development stuff, what it was like working in Hollywood. And the best analogy I had was it was like being in a gladiator in an arena. You get up in the morning and you put your armor on and you got your sword and your helmet and you go out into this, you know, arena having no idea what's coming at you. Could yeah. be a tiger, could be an elephant, could be 10 men. And then you pr proceed to spend the rest of the day getting the living crap kicked out of you. <laughs> yes. And then you go home and you straighten your bent sword, you suture up the slices and, and then you get up the next day and do it all over again. And so at the time, I was thinking, well, I'm kind of a lower level guy, so that's the way it is. But I, I was friends with somebody who was on sort of the wasn't top of the A list as an actor, but definitely on the A list. And I was telling them about this analogy because I thought it was creative. And they're like, oh, my God, that is so true. And I was like, holy, this person's <laughs> making millions of dollars per movie. And even oh, they're going, oh, no, this is the way it is. I was actors like, have it the worst in some ways. They're just, oh, talk about, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah it, it's hard on everybody. It's hard on everybody. Not not just the one or two percent, you know. Not there, there's a, there's that small percentage of you know in in, in SAG-AFTRA and in the WGA and the DGA, who you know are sort of the gifted golden children who will you know always have careers and you know make millions and millions and millions of dollars. Vast vast majority of guild members will make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, easy, and they got to and they have families. Yeah. You know, it's a rough road. This is why it's so fantastic now to be a writer because you have so many opportunities to do other things. And that's why I've gotten into the book world. You know, I'm writing books and I'm writing, you know, novellas. I've got, I just optioned one novella to, to you know, one of my novellas. So it's like, and, and a lot of screenwriters are writing books because then they got IP they can then sell for screenplay rights. Yep. So it's a real strategy, you know, 
and John August and and uh, Doug Richardson, the the action adventure story. Doug Richardson, look him up. <laughs> He's a great writer. He's got a whole mystery series out that he writes that's fantastic. And they're selling novels and books, making money as novelists on top of all the screenplay stuff they do. Writers have the opportunity now to be in multiple areas having multiple income streams and it's a it's just a great time to be right it's fantastic and it's we're we're so blessed with the opportunities we have especially in western civilization in north america particularly when i first started my my hollywood career i mean even back then you were either a tv actor or you were a movie actor and you did not cross over if a film actor went into a TV series, that was considered, oh, my God, the guy's career is dead and he's a has-been. Right. And now Academy Award-winning actors are begging to be in original content for these shows. Yeah, now, you know, now there's... The, the distinction between film and television is, 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 is rapidly evaporating. And what is it all coming back to? Story. Why is, why is um, Al Pacino in a, an, a Netflix series? And he's going, man, this, I, I, I can't tell this good of a story on you know, a two-hour movie. I get to do this for 10 episodes. And, right. Yeah, and, it's, and for writers, it's the same. There is no, I've had this conversation and I would say argument with a lot of my screenwriting buddies where, where they've got 15, 20 screenplays done. I'm like, hey, turn those into books and put them on Amazon and publish Absolutely. them. And, you, and, and they're like, I'm not, a, I'm not a book writer. I'm a screenwriter. I'm like, dude, a writer is a writer. A story is a story. And you know, to well, some extent, yeah. a screenplay writing skill is definitely different than novel writing, but the same thing, it's, it's a writing skill and anyone can, anyone can learn those. Well, you, yes, I totally agree. And, and, and you rate, you, you said something really interesting because I've had a personally, I just had a really interesting experience. I wrote a novella called 13 minutes. That's the one that just got optioned as a screenplay because it reads very much like, did you ever read, um, Patty Chayefsky wrote a book that he made a movie of. Um, it's kind of a sci-fi years ago. And my, my point being, Patty Chayefsky, one of the one of the biggest screenwriters ever in Hollywood, um, guy who wrote Network and all of that. Um, he wrote a novel. And when you read that novel, it reads just like a really long screenplay. It's got the same sensibility. Mm. Lots of dialogue very, very minimum number of subplotting things going on. It's very screenplay-ish. And the reason I raise that is because I've had this experience with the last novel novella I wrote called Terminus Station, which I just published. And it is the first piece of long form prose that I have ever written that I think transcends the screenplay voice into long prose fiction voice. I didn't realize it until just a little while ago and I said, oh my God, this is like an evolutionary step for me. I'm not writing this like a screenwriter and it doesn't sound like a screenplay. And I've been looking back at it to analyze what is the difference in that voice? Because you got to learn that voice. Well, you don't have to. I mean, screen, screenwriters I think can do very well as novelists, but if you want to like learn the art of long form prose, there is a bit, there is a, there is a difference in the voice and how you approach exposition and Exposition is your friend, not your enemy, like it is in screen. Right? You know? So it's it's a whole different. You can use verbs in your book. Yeah, yeah you can use <laughs> verbs and adjectives, and you know, and it's it was a real 
mind blower for me to realize that I just crossed a Rubicon with that with that novella. You know, and it was you know uh, that's the this is a personal thing I'm just sharing. Well, but isn't that the point though? But, as as a, as writers, we are artists. We we yeah. we, just, we paint art with words instead. And so, isn't the point of an artist to continually evolve and push forward our own craft? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And that's, yeah. you know, you're the living embodying of that. You, yeah, you're developing these and teaching yeah. and even yourself, you're still discovering new things. And I, I would hope that that is part of your journey that will continue because the art can only get better, I think. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. It's like, and at my age, I'm, you know, I'm older. So it's like, you know, in some ways, my writing career, I feel like it's just beginning again. You know, it's like, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> what a fantastic place to be in. Yeah. Well, you've been super generous with your time. I would love to close out by addressing the biggest nemesis of of every writer across any genre, and that is writer's block. Because I know you have some thoughts on this. (laughs) I have many thoughts. Um, In fact, I have an ebook on it. (laughs) Is it called The Myth of the Writer's Block? It's called, uh, you know, how how to get out of writer's block or something. It's it's free. It's on Amazon. It's for free. It's one of you know it's one of the two free ebooks I put up. Um, writer's block is, I think, ninety nine percent smoke and one percent substance. Um, it was an invention of that came out of psychoanalysis. <laughs> Uh, which should right there give you some some pause <laughs> um, as a form of neurosis, you know. Uh, of, uh, and and the fact of the matter is, it doesn't really exist, in my opinion. I'm not saying writers don't get blocked; they get blocked all the time. Um, but writing problems require writing solutions, not bath bubbles or you know flavored coffee. <laughs> don't don't take a yoga class if you're not writing. Nothing wrong with clearing your mind and all that kind of stuff. But th- that is that's if you have a writing problem, it's a writing problem. You're grappling with development. It's a normal piece of the of the challenge. You're going to come up against walls. I go for months sometimes, stuck, quote unquote, because I can't write. But I'm churning stuff over in my head all the time. Don't think you're not writing because you're not physically doing something on the page. This is another myth of the writing community that you've got to be writing every single day. No, you don't. But try turning your brain off from a story development perspective. You can't. Writers will be developing all the time in their heads. That's just as valuable, in my opinion, more valuable than writing on the page. But sometimes writing on the page can open those channels. That's an avenue too. So that's what I talk about in the book is when you have a real writing block, it's because you, it's, there's only one thing, only one reason why it happens. You are so, your creative pipeline is so clogged that you cannot make or trust the creative choices you have to make. Mm. And so you freeze. And so I I offer a, a methodology to help you mechanically work through that so that you can get the pipe moving again. It's a natural experience for the writing process, you know, but if your lover just left you or you can't pay the rent, that's not a writing problem. Get a job. Okay. Get <laughs> Go get therapy. 
you know, whatever you got to do, get rid of that stressor on your life so that you can get back to writing. But that's not a, that's not writer's block. That's life block. Mm. So so don't don't fall back on the the writer's block thing because it's 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 a non-issue from a standpoint of oh this is a real problem I'm having. No, it's not. You know, it's really not. There's a, a very famous marketer named Gary Halbert. Um, he's probably made more millions of dollars than just about any other marketer that's ever lived. And what part of his process was when he would start a new project, first and foremost, is he would do a ton of research. Sometimes he would spend four, six weeks, 40 hours a week, just researching the product, the industry, the problems, the, the customers, development, basically. And then he would, he would, make extensive notes and he would have mind maps and all these sort of things. And then at the end of it all, he would take three days off and he would put everything away and he would just go somewhere. And and, in his own words, he's like, I just go screw off. I'd go rent a boat and just go out on the water. I'd go down to the Florida Keys for a couple of days and surf and go to the bar and just do nothing, nothing. He's like, "I, I, I, I did not have a notebook. I would not take any notes. I just three days of nothing. And then he would come home and then he would the next morning he would get up and he would sit down with his notebook. And usually within a couple of days, he would write the whole thing because he said that it was the that for him when he didn't put that integration period between research and the actual writing, that's when he would get quote, yes. blocked. But he said, you just need to let your brain sometimes. So like you were saying, a lot of and and, and I'm applying this to my own self, the, the times that I've had challenges writing it's because like you said i had life stuff going on and i wasn't allowing it to integrate and i was so obsessed with that and then worse taking a stick and beating myself on the head going why am i not writing how come i can't write what's wrong with me oh God. no no yeah, that, that that's a great example because you know that's what happens when we're you know when you're being creative is there's two there are two things there are two minds working at this simultaneously all the time the conscious and the subconscious and the subconscious never never stops. This conscious mind can go off and go to the keys for a couple of days, but while he was down there, he was doing exactly what you were talking about, integrating. It was all happening at the subconscious level. And then he came back and just started seeping and beating up into the conscious level. And that's that's how our, our minds work, not our brains, but our minds, you know? So it's a great example, you know? Well, how can someone find out more about you? How can they follow you? How, if somebody wanted to work with you in a, a coaching situation, how would they track you down? Obviously, you got your books, uh, Rapid Story Development Anatomy of a Premise Line on Amazon. So that's right. a good place to start. Yeah, but uh, I have a website, storygeeks.com. It's my company. Storygeeks.com? Storygeeks.com. You can contact me directly through there for sure. That's probably the best way. And I'm also on, on Facebook, um, Facebook slash Story Geeks, um, and Twitter also Story. All right, at sign Story Geeks. So, lots of ways you can find me. <laughs> well, Jeff, this has been tremendous fun. Thanks for talking shop and yeah, taking great. the time out of your day to explain some of the inner workings of the story world. You've given some fantastic advice and direction and I wish you all the best. Can't wait to see some of your books turned into screenplays that turned into movies. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to the just right show. And I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to traviscody.com forward slash show and join the email list. So you can get notified when new episodes come out. 
Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can up-level your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.